Hey guys, before we dive into today's episode, we wanted to give a couple of quick notes that this episode is not in any way meant to be legal advice. It's simply our experience with the family law system in Australia. It was our experience. It was what we went through. We're not lawyers. And we also just wanted to note a couple of trigger warnings. Both of us got quite emotional through the episode, which as you listen to it, I'm sure you'll understand why. We also just wanted to disclaim that there are mentions of child harm. There are mentions of medical neglect, those kinds of things. So yeah, I guess listen with caution. As always, reach out if you have any questions or concerns. And again, we also just want to note that we didn't and couldn't share certain details to protect our kids, to protect ourselves, to protect the other party. This episode is not meant to be about the other party in our matter. It's about our experience, um, which is always hard to share in a delicate way, but we've done our best. And... We hope you get to know us and our family better and we hope that if you've gone through it, it gives you a point of I'm not alone, which is why we do all of this so that, you know, people will know that they are not alone in the struggles they go through. So happy listening, guys. Definitely pour yourself a wine for this one. Here we are back for the highs and lows. Drinking our apple juice and our wine glasses. Yes. Because you're on call at work. I mean, you could be drinking wine. Well, no, I'm trying to do low histamines. <laughs> <laughs> so cloudy apple juice in wine glasses it is. Hooray! Woohoo! So we finally decided to... We had it requested, and we finally decided to kind of go through the family court kind of process. Does my that side, we Does my side experience? tell you how I feel about recording this episode? A little bit. A little it's bit. just so much. <laughs> It was just such a bad time in our lives that you just you don't want to talk about it. A lot, a lot happened. I don't know anyone that enjoyed their court experience. Except, I would be really except surprised. Except maybe your ex-wife because she won in her mind. In her mind, yeah. Nobody, nobody wins, wins in family court. Yeah, there she, is no winner. But she won in that she basically got what she wanted. I know. And she got away with. Everything that she said it Everything did. that she did. Mm. Because that's how the family court system works. That mm. it favours, you know, these poor singles mums with these young kids. And, and I want to preface this whole episode by saying straight up that I know there are genuine single mums and dads out there that are not lying about DV and that are not... Deadbeats. You know, one of my friends in particular is raising her kids 100% of the time because dad just doesn't want to be involved. Hmm. He is a deadbeat. Hmm. So when I make sarcastic comments about single mums, you know, know that I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the single mums that victimise themselves and that are actively stopping the kids from being around their dad more or you know like the the mums that are less that are less interested in being mums and more interested in just making the whole process difficult because they feel slighted or and who make false dv claims to try to win more custody or even the mums that think that you know custody is a thing that they have (laughs) like Mm. yeah and i and i just i want to preface this episode with that like don't 
don't be offended if you are genuinely the separated parent trying to do what's right for your kids. You know, this isn't about you. Yeah. In fact, none of our story is about you. It's about our experience. <laughs> but yeah. So take it away because your court orders are yours, John, not mine. <laughs> oh. I mean, I feel like it's important to get the backstory of everything that happened leading up to even yeah. applying for court orders. Because, I mean, I think, I think, it was I think it's safe to say that in a majority of co-parenting situations orders aren't necessary no there's a there's a not necessarily super small minority of cases where it is really high conflict and just really really difficult yeah to find a medium well you also have people that are just determined for it to happen so we knew probably about four or five months before the court situation happened, I think we knew it was going to happen because she told you. Mm. She basically got mad at you for asking about your kid's doctor's appointment and literally said to you, if you keep pushing me, I will skip mediation and go straight to court. Side note, not possible anymore. I don't know if it was even possible then, but it's not possible now. But because that was her mindset, I think we knew it was going to happen at some point. Yeah, and it kind of gave us the, kind of gave us the idea that we would somewhat need court orders as a yeah. framework that we could work under and around and through, because of how well, we needed even at that point how difficult it was to try and co-parent with her. Well, and we needed something, even though we've since learned that the punishment, so to speak, is you know shit all. Yeah. We needed something enforceable because it was like every weekend, oh, she's just withholding the kids for no reason. She's mad at you for something, so she's four hours late to a changeover or she just hasn't shown up at all and isn't answering the phone or, like, like there was just so much chaos when I look back. Yeah. Leading up to it. It was just chaos. Yeah. It was constantly... Different changeover locations, different times, different rules, different day. Like, it was just a joke. Yeah. Even over some really simple things like, uh, like, Elle was, what, six, eight months old. When was his last bottle? Yeah, there was zero communication. Yeah. None. Because it was always the... You know, she was like, I'm sick of you asking for every little detail. And you're like, I'm not asking for every detail. I'm trying to look after my kid here and make sure that his care is consistent. You were literally going, what's his sleep time routine? Is he still having naps? And yeah, when he's dropped off, what time did he last have a bottle? Which are just not unreasonable questions for a six-month-old baby. No, you'd provide that information to a babysitter. Yeah. You'd but say, that was you. Well, this is the last time he slept, so you can expect him to go to sleep at about this that time. That was you wanting too much information. And, you know, and we, like, you tried. So we, I mean, you tried everything. You tried, let's communicate via text so it's in writing. Or we tried a communication book for a little while. Wouldn't use it. Use the Story Park app that they use for daycare. Wouldn't use it. Talk at changeover. Didn't want to. Like, it was just impossible yeah. and the changing rules all of the time 
which still happens, but to a lesser extent. Because, yeah, because there are a set of rules. Right. So when, when she goes, I don't want to communicate that way, I want to communicate this way, you can go, no, I'm going to follow what the court order says. And the court order very specifically spells out exactly how communication is to happen between the two of you. Yeah. Which, do you remember how hard we had to fight to get that in the court orders? Yeah. God, we had to yeah. push it was really, so really hard for that. It was just so frustrating. Yeah. You would think that for someone that supposedly hates you and doesn't want to see you or talk to you in person, that they wouldn't be trying so hard to only talk to you in person. <laughs> right? But Don't yeah. call me, but also I only want to talk to you on the phone. Yeah. I, I hate you and I don't want to see you, but I only want to talk to you at changeovers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's impossible. But anyway, so I guess to go back in time, we met... Mm-hmm. And then, but then you didn't, you didn't meet her or the boys until was it October or was it late August? No, it was stupidly early. You and I met on the fourth of July. Yeah, and I met her and the boys on like the thirty first of July or something. Was it? Oh, okay. I thought yeah. it was. I thought it was like mid August. No, because she asked because we weren't going to. Right. We were going to because I I told her hey. It's, I've met this girl, it's getting more serious, so I'm letting you know that I'm dating someone. Um, obviously, like, we had an agreement that when we started dating somebody else, the other, like, either... If, if she started dating kids. someone, I'd meet that yeah. person. If I started dating someone, she would meet that person. Before, Only if they were going to meet the kids, yeah, not before like anyone you would that per, out The with. extra person, the yeah. new person would meet the kids. But she requested that meeting so, happen way sooner than we were planning. And so we just went with it because we was like, well, we might as well. Yeah. And weirdly enough, it ended up with you meeting the kids before her, but because she was late. But anyway, so, by but before, yes. we mean an hour, not days. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like. <laughs> all this um, to say. But yeah. So met you me met. It all went to shit. In July. I'm the problem. First, it wasn't so bad because, yes, I was another babysitter. And she was also dating someone or she started dating someone very quickly after that. Mm. And so it was kind of this nice idea of all this, you know, everyone's got new partners and, yeah, extra people to help with the kids and it's all fun and games. It only got bad because you and I got serious. Yeah, and also we were going, okay, well, the way this is working isn't working, so we're going to need to set some boundaries in place um and that wasn't okay that was the main reason it wasn't okay i feel like we should clarify what our boundaries were just so just in case (laughs) just in case you're listening and you think oh how unreasonable our boundaries and i say our because they were our for our sake was when we moved in together i'm not comfortable with her coming into my house so when you were like still living in your place, yeah, like you and I were a bit uncomfortable with it, but that's not a rule we were going to set because like it's your house. I'm not going to interfere. But mm. when it became our house, so like we moved in and actually you moved into where I was living. Yeah. I then went, I'm not comfortable with her in my home because my home is my safe space. Yeah. So to get around that was... We sent her photos of the boys' rooms just so, like, 
Which she was, had a visual of yeah, of, so she of could see like they've still got a safe space. I mean, she was still not happy about it. Like she, she wanted to black see and blue it, it yeah. you know, but that's not an unreasonable boundary for me to have set. Like this is my home too, and for me to feel safe in my home, you're not really welcome in yeah. my home. You know, yeah. um, and you had set the boundary of because she used to text multiple times a day while the kids were with you. Yeah, how are they? Like multiple times a day. And I think you kind of went, I'm only going to respond once a day or even at the end of the weekend. Mm. Like, obviously, you'd call her or text her if there was anything important. Yeah. But, like, otherwise, it would just be when she was picking them up, you'd send her, like, a bit of an update on how they went. Again, the communication book, all that stuff. So I still don't think our boundaries were unreasonable. Yeah. (laughs) What? But that cause conflict for her and you even got an email in like october saying that everything was fine until you started setting all these boundaries john yeah well even the boundary of you know like she'd often want you to pick up the kids for an extra night or two or extra times and you had started saying not no but like if that's gonna work rebecca might need to be the one to go and get them or like, just because you had taken a different job as well. Like, there were just so many factors. Like, our lives changed. Yeah. And that was the point. Our lives changed and we were building an our life. Mm-hmm. It was no longer just a you life or a you and her and the kids life. Yeah. It was our life. So that shifted, like, I guess the co-parenting relationship a little bit and made it a bit... It's not that it made it more high conflict. I think it just made it more obvious how high conflict yeah. it was. But then... I think it was in October we started noticing, like, a bit more of a pattern of, like, the boys would come home with kind of just weird bruises. Yeah. That couldn't easily be explained Which in first, odd places. Well, at first it, it was just like, I know you asked her a few times, like, hey, T has this bruise. It's a bit, you know, just it's a bit bizarre. Do you know what happened? Because we were just thinking, like, you know, he had a fall at daycare or whatever. You know, like, we, were, we weren't assuming this is negative. It's just as you do as a parent, you see a bruise that's really not a normal kind of bruise on a yeah. kid. And you just go, oh, what happened? Yeah. But she never had an answer. Or... Or the answers that she had didn't really make sense. That didn't start till later. I just remember her being like, I didn't even know he had a bruise. And we're like, oh. and it was around the time there was another new boyfriend as well, and it just got a bit weird. And then they were sick constantly. All the time. Yeah, all the time. And like, we know that kids get sick all the time, but there'd be gastro at the daycare, and we'd be like, can you consider not sending them, even if you needed to take a day off work to have them? Like, we weren't just saying, can you just not send them and look after them? Like, we can help, but would you consider just not putting them at risk? And that was and that like wasn't the an end of the world. Yeah. And that was where you started getting threatened to withhold more. Cause we would say, well, like if they're going to go to daycare when there's gastro and they get it, you know, can we rejig the, the care schedule a little bit? Because you and I had used all our sick leave at work very quickly with how sick they were all the time. And we were getting it. And yeah. And then it was like, well, if you're not going to see them, as I say, then you're not going to see them at all. And, like, it was just, it was a lot of that going on, which didn't make us feel any better. It's okay. So they're constantly sick. They weren't being taken to the doctor. Like, they had the worst cases of conjunctivitis imaginable. 
warm salty water on on a, on a washer yeah and that's all we're gonna do which works sometimes in mild cases but like t had such a severe case that he needed antibiotics in the end yeah because it just wasn't getting better yeah and so like we were taking them to the doctors constantly because she wasn't and they were sick all the time and then they had these weird bruises um and they had no semblance of routine whatsoever we worked so hard to create a routine that we just repeated every weekend that they came yeah. and during the week. Like, if they were in our care, it was just the exact same routine. Yeah. Which is a lot when we were both working full-time. <laughs> it was a lot. And um, it was every weekend. So, yeah, our, the we, care schedule... We were caring for them every weekend. was every weekend, Friday to Sunday. But we would often get calls on, like, a Tuesday that they were sick or one of them was sick or she was sick and we need to come and get them or she'd have something on, you need to come and get them. I ended up losing one of my – like, I had started a new job and I ended up losing it six weeks later because the amount of time I had taken off to look after them. Yeah. It was just – because it would be constant and we were not going to say no. Like, we were not in a position to be like, no, you can't have your kids. I was never going to be that. But, like, they'd get sick, I'd get sick. It just went round and round and round and round. Yeah. yeah, It was nuts. I was a working mum, but I would only realistically been with you for, like, three months. Mm. So, needless to say, all of that, I think, paints a really good picture of the chaos of that time in our lives. Yeah. The ups and downs and just the conflict. Like, you guys were fighting about everything. There was money issues. There was child support issues. Um, the divorce was a massive one. Yeah. Um, my involvement started to become more and more problematic for her. You know, the, the longer I was around. Um, you know, sick kids... It was just mental, to be honest. And obviously you you and I were more and more concerned about, like we said, the bruising. Well, it started to get worse. It did. And the sickness and what to do about that. And we'd spoken to a couple of lawyers and they had said, you know, these are your options. Um, And one of the options they had mentioned was like, well, obviously pending the situation, you know, you may need to withhold the kids, but we also don't really recommend doing that because these issues yeah. and yeah. so like that was all kind of flagged as, you know, the process forward in the end, you spoke to child safety. Yeah. I think prior to that, and just maybe as a bit of an example of how concerning it got, I guess also leading up to that, he had two head injuries yeah. Across a couple of months, one that he had a concussion from. And equally as concerning, she wouldn't get treatment, wouldn't get help. She couldn't explain either of the injuries, really. Didn't know how they happened. And it's just not that... Like, again, I don't think you and I ever thought she's doing this to them. We just more got the vibe of, like, she's just not paying attention. Mm. Like... Kids hurt themselves, well, but the the less you watch them, the more they hurt themselves. And then it's what you do about it, like seeking appropriate treatment. Mm. That was our concern of like, well, you know, again, like I don't think we ever thought, oh, she's hurting them. That was never 
an accusation. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's this growing... So growing concerns, concerns like I said, we've spoken escalation to Escalation of injuries. You, well, you had initiated mediation. Right. Well, sorry. She initiated mediation because she wasn't happy about money. In right. like the October, right, 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 I think yeah. it was. And so you did your intake and then you didn't hear anything more. Yeah. And you called them and they said, oh, well, no, she told us she's not going ahead because it's too expensive. Yeah. So then we did the research and you initiated mediation through Relationships Australia. Yeah. Which is like a big organisation. If we have any overseas listeners, it's like a big organisation that runs... It's government funded mostly. Yeah. And yeah. they run a lot of like separated parents programs. They mediate. They do all that kind of stuff for, yeah. you know, they have free or low Some free counselling and that sort of yeah. thing. So you had booked that. You initiated that maybe like November and you were scheduled to mediate in January. Yeah. And so things were just getting worse and worse. Then I found out I was pregnant right before Christmas. So December. Yeah. And she found out quite early because we had the kids for like an extended period of time because there was a COVID isolation where she lived or something. I don't remember. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And And you were really sick. I was hospitalised. And, like, I was only five weeks along or something. It was really early. And so you had to ask her to come and get the kids. Mm. And you told her why. Like, you're like, you know, I'm in hospital, blah, blah, blah. So she found out stupid early. She knew before almost anyone else that I was pregnant. And then I feel like that just... Escalated it. Escalated it. And while that was all happening, so she's already escalated... That's when Elle had this foot injury and then that was the tipping point where you called child safety and went, look, I'm really concerned about all this stuff. You gave them the whole backstory and they spouted what we now know is their most famous line that they refused to put in writing. Yeah. Which is, well, it sounds like you are a willing and able parent and therefore it is your job. To do yeah. what you need to do to protect them. Essentially, if you're so concerned about it, why do you keep why do you back? keep sending them back? If you're if you're concerned, hold on to them. Right, which, which is not what they should say. Which you had already asked her if you could be the primary carer for a period of time because she yeah she yeah, suddenly we'd broached it with her. She had suddenly like moved in with one of her parents, and she was like gone most of the time she said she was only seeing the kids two days a week because she was studying like there's a lot of chaos for them and so you had emailed her and said how about for a while is it possible while you get back on your feet we'll just watch the kids you can sort whatever it is that you're sorting out you can have whatever visitation whatever like you're not trying to take them but just like give them some stability and she did not cope with that Mm. That was to her you threatening to become the primary carer. Yeah. Which it was not. It was you just going I can offer them some stability better. While you're figuring yourself out, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so you called child safety. That was their famous line. And so we were like, Well, let's wait and see, I think. Like I don't think you were like No, we didn't really but then we weren't sure if it was serious enough. But then I think it was that foot injury. There was I just remember there being something that made you go, I'm not giving them back. And 
Yeah. I can't remember exactly what it was, but in the end, it didn't really matter what it was because we made that decision on I that just, advice. I want to clarify. Because yep. you're saying we made that decision. Right, yes. And I just yeah, want to like... No, you always said... I just want to speak for every stepmom out there. I did not make that decision whatsoever, but I went, well, I will support you in the choice you make. Yes. No, it very much was that. I internally wanted to die. Like, I was <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. I don't want any part of this. This is not... Like, this is chaotic and this is hard and this is all of the things... But this is the choice you're making. And obviously I can see you're making it for a good reason. I probably would have fought back harder if like there was nothing wrong and you were just like, I'm keeping the kids. I would have been like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it, it truly is what else is there to do. Yeah. Um, and so you did. So kids came for their visit um, and then you sent her a message. I think the day they were supposed to go back. Um, and yeah, just as as said. factual and as kind, and and it was pretty close to when your mediation date was supposed to be. Because, sorry, that was the other thing. She cancelled mediation. Yeah. And so this is where you know you had for so long you've been like holding out for mediation, like we've got to get this stuff sorted. You know, you had all these, you had it all ready, and then she just kept delaying it. And it's like, what the fuck are we supposed to do here? Mm. You know, like, how, yeah. what are we going to do? And so when you withheld them, you basically said to her, I think, like, these are the concerns. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you even said, like, this is not meant to be long term. We just need to get this sorted. So, like, obviously looking forward to mediation to talk about this and work through this stuff. Um, and that went down like a lead brick. Like a bag of dicks, as my friends on another <laughs> podcast like to say. As it would, as a mother. And, and you know, as a parent, like when your kids are withheld, it's... It sucks. It's gut-wrenching. It's, it's not good. It's awful. Um, and thus began chaos. Really. Oh, that, that whole afternoon, evening was insane. Well, we ended up staying with my parents for a week because... She knew where we lived and she had been at our house and at my parents' house. Like, police had to be called to remove her from the premises. Like, it yeah. was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and so then I just didn't feel safe at home. I was just worried, especially because you were going to, like, be working and I was going to have the kids at home and I was sick. And Yeah. So we stayed with my parents for about a week, which was kind of helpful but also more madness in a way. <laughs> um and I don't know, like we applied for well, that that whole time, that whole week, we were we getting, were getting court an application paperwork. for court orders yeah. ready. Yeah, which we submitted, but so in Australia, at that point, there were two courts. So there was family law court and there was federal circuit court. Yeah, and we filed in family law court because we thought that was the right it's a place to go. Law matter. Yeah. Then. I think we'd we'd served so paperwork. We'd served her the paperwork, and we. I think we later found out that the when we served her was the day she filed. Was the day that she yeah the yeah. day that she filed yeah which we didn't her know about so application we had like maybe a week or two of somewhat peace. I mean, she was calling the kids every second day. She was trying to call them every day, but we had said no because it was 
upsetting them too much. Yeah. Like they just weren't coping super well. They were really settled and happy otherwise. Mm. Like we had, again, really strict routines. For the first time since all of the sickness happened, they were both healthy. They were well. They were happy. They were settled. That is not to say that they didn't miss her. No, I'm they sure did. They did. they did. They were very little. Like I look back and like they were babies. Yeah. So there was a little bit of peace for about a week or so. And then you got. There was a knock on the door. Or no, a, you got no. an email that day. So it was a Friday. Yeah. And around 2.30 or 3, you forwarded me an email going, what the fuck? And it was her application to court that had been filed. Mm. And then six o'clock that night, you got served the actual papers. And then it was a weekend and we were like, what is going on? Like, we need a lawyer. So you were served at like 6 p.m. Friday night. The court case was Tuesday morning at like 9 a.m. Yeah, for a recovery order hearing. For a recovery order hearing. And... So you had zero time. It's like a weekend. So I'm trying to find a lawyer on a weekend. And then we only had Monday to get some stuff sorted. Um, And I think, honestly, that's part of the tactic, I think, of why she got the recovery order. Mm. Was because the judge didn't see any of your paperwork. Yeah. Like, our lawyer emailed it into her. We sent some stuff through, but it was too late or whatever. Yeah, just not enough time. So, um, anyway, so... Recovery order was issued. That first hearing was fucking brutal. Mm. We got the most matriarchal judge you can imagine who has had many complaints filed against her for the same types of things. Yeah. She asked shit all. She made very harsh judgments and statements. I think our lawyer even tried to speak up and she was like, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, and literally our lawyer hung up the phone from that hearing and was like, what an asshole!" <laughs> and, like, this is a lawyer with, like, 30 years' experience, but she was Well, like, she was the director of the practice yeah. that we ended up at, yeah. Um. So recovery order, literally, they had to be returned that day. Yeah. Because we had yeah. tried to say, can they at least finish out their, like, daycare week and just, like... You know, they're in a routine, they're in a schedule, they've got a life. And that's not how it worked, unfortunately. So basically I think we the the first set of interim orders. I think it's important were, to note there the recovery order wasn't actually fully issued on no. on the basis that yep. we as as we had said as I had said, sorry I should say, as I had said in that hearing that I would return them. Yeah. The Recovery order was like, okay, well, we're not going to issue it, but it is ready to be issued should you not actually return the kids. I think it was basically, yeah, if the kids were not returned by 4 p.m. that day or something, then there would be a recovery order and the police would be. So you obviously returned them. That first set of interim orders was that obviously they'd be returned to her immediately, basically, that she had to remain living with her parents, which to this day we still do not know why that was ordered. We yeah. don't. Yeah. Um, that you would have every second weekend, well, which think... was a devastating blow because obviously prior to this, you'd had every single weekend. Yeah, and I think even 
like we managed to get around it thankfully but when the order those orders were basically made in the hearing we had to somewhat argue against them because like it was a fortnightly thing but it wasn't basically we hand back the kids and we wouldn't see them for two weeks and Mm -hmm. so we managed to get around that by saying well actually like my dad's birthday is an important thing we'd like to have the kids and that was that saturday so i think in the end it was basically like we managed to see them that we got them for the day that saturday and the following weekend was easter yeah. So we got them for the day for Easter Saturday and then it was the fortnightly after that. But the next hearing was only eight weeks away, I think, originally. The date was only eight weeks. So it was bloody hard. Yeah, like, it was brutal. that first weekend that we didn't have them, I remember we had planned... We planned fun things just to try to, like... Distract. <laughs> distract and deal well, I think I think that weekend we were finding, like, weird things that the kids had left. Like, I think Elle had a banana. No, that was that week. That wasn't the week. That wasn't okay. two weeks later. But, yeah, it, that first week without them was, like... I don't think we cleaned up the house from them. Good God. This is <laughs> going to be emotional, isn't it? No, we didn't. We were, like, we didn't clean up. Like, all their toys and shit all over the house. Yeah. I was like, I can't clean it. I just have to leave it. So I was, like, tripping no, over no, toys in the hallway. It. And it was Wait, like... no, I don't want to pretend like they're not here. Yeah. So. Oh. <laughs> good, good God. We're both sitting here in tears, just in case you wondered. Um, oh, jeez. Anyway. That, that really sucked. That, so in that, that time... In that time, we're like, okay, we've got to get ready for the next hearing. So... um. And the, the judge had only had ordered for, like, a a report from child safety to be made, you know, and all that stuff. So, yep. in the meantime, we were just gathering evidence. Um, we were Writing getting friends and family and to write supports. support affidavits just in case. I think we submitted, like, ten yes. or so affidavits. We had so many, yeah, letters of support, which in that, what came out, so one of the things that, and I don't know how much of this we can share, but her biggest claim against you, she stated that you were coercively controlling and that you had been through your whole marriage. Yeah. You know, she tried to say you controlled all the money and what she ate and what she wore and where she went. She never claimed you were violent against the kids or that you were physically violent against her, but she put in that claim. And when you had reached out to some people who knew you guys back then to go, hey, this is the situation, you know, how would you feel about writing a support letter? They actually said to you, before you'd even told them about her claim, they said, oh, we we were really worried about you, John, when you guys were married. We heard a lot of things from her that made us really worried that she was quite manipulative and controlling to you. Hmm. So that was like a big wake up call of like, okay, so she's making this claim and is she just claiming what she actually was doing? Like, and then you had this history of in your separation, the coercive control, like she held on to a bunch of your stuff after she kicked you out and was like, if you don't pay my mum this amount of money, 
I'll sell your stuff. Hmm. And like, yeah. yeah, the whole with the kids, like you won't see the kids unless you do what I tell you. And so it became really like narky. And that was really hard to deal with because here we were, you know, all of your paperwork was just the evidence of like, I'm just worried about my kids. And all her paperwork was just, oh, he's this and he's that and he's this and he's that. Yeah. But never once claiming that you were a bad dad or you were a risk to the kids, but in the same vein trying to take the kids off you. Yeah. Oh. I think one of the weird things about all of that paperwork was it was just riddled with errors. Mm. And like really weird errors. Like Names her birth were wrong. date was wrong. Birthdays Names were wrong. were wrong. Yeah. I think they put a wrong name in for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was bizarre. And her lawyer's tactic was and still to Bulldog. this day is yeah, we will, you know, whatever claim we have to make to get you to win and they don't communicate. They'll yeah. send you a letter full They'll of bark as hard as they can bullshit. and then pretend you haven't responded. But then when you respond you either get no response from them or they just gloss over it. And that's still their tactic to this day. And mm. we're years past We ended fact. up actually befriending some people and it turned out that he had actually used the same lawyer that Is my him? kid's mum yeah. used. And she gave some really bad advice to him as yeah. well. So we basically had, yeah, like six weeks of trying to get all this paperwork sorted and pay lawyers' fees because, like, we did not have... We were not prepared for that at we had, all. Yeah, money was not a situation that we were in a good place in. And I was pregnant and still in the throes of high premises, so, like, yeah. I couldn't work. Um, it was just a mess. But then the hearing got brought forward. So suddenly it was six weeks between hearings. Mm. Um, but prior to that, we had our lawyer had gotten her to agree to FaceTime calls. Yep. And that and on the off weekend, Saturday a, we could have a Saturday visit. day visit. So that second hearing was, I think, what they call a directions hearing. So that was like, how are things going any new arrangements. Even and then, just knowing, like, what the different hearings were was difficult because yeah. a lot of it doesn't make sense. No, because the first one is literally just, like, an interim. A mentions, I think. Was it was a mentions was. and the recovery order. The second one was, like, a direction. So, yeah, here's where we're going to go from here with this process. So that hearing, obviously, we got the updates to the care arrangement, you know, that they were with you Saturdays. Yeah. And then every so second weekend. basically got a new set of interviews. FaceTime calls. And where to go from here. So um, a family report was ordered. Yeah. Um, and I think that was about all, to be honest. I don't think anything else was really ordered. And Wasn't then all, all other yeah. orders remained in place, basically. Yeah. So again, And then living. the next date was not until. So that was in... I want to say that was in April. I think there the was next, a six-month... Next court date wasn't until October, originally. Right, okay. Yeah, then it was just like, okay, what are we doing? So we had changed lawyers, or at this point we were like, okay, we can't keep affording this lawyer, so that had to stop. And then we were kind of self-represented, then we found a new lawyer, but we were still kind of self-representing off the record, and like it was a bit of a back and forth with all of that. We subpoenaed their kids' daycares and a few other places just to try to get some records on some things we thought might be helpful. Yeah. Because um, 
I think we had, we ended up in a weird situation where we had subpoenaed a group for some notes that they would have had on file because they spoke to her mental right. state. Yeah. Um, and they ended up blocking that subpoena. Right. They and our lawyer's them. advice was, well, it kind of sounds like you're just fishing for information and that's not good in terms of they just, what it looks like to the really court. They just, when it's not really worth it, so just give it up basically. Yeah. Because like, you, you risk that if you keep pushing it, she could come after <clears> for costs and stuff. So Well, half of the argument was, okay, well, what kind of argument are you running here in front of the judge? Because if you're running a risk yeah. argument, essentially the, the threshold for running a risk argument against another parent is really, really high. Yeah. Like we were hearing from the lawyer that she had seen a case where these kids were clearly visibly malnourished and that wasn't enough. Yeah. That was the whole, that was the really hard wake up call for us was basically, and, and none of our lawyers credit to them. They never said you're being ridiculous and that your fears are unfounded. No. They all straight up said, yeah, this is there is good. stuff going on here, clearly. But in the eyes of the law... Even specifically this judge. And in the eyes of this judge, they are basically one and two-year-old children or one and three years old. You don't stand a chance. Yeah. You know, like there's no... There's nothing. So, And then, then they were still very much said, you know make sure you are reporting to child safety. Like, get things documented. Yeah. Go to doctors. Um, you have know, have do, a paper do trail. Do what you've got to do to make sure the kids are safe, absolutely. But, you know, you can't run a risk case, basically, here. And because you were on the back foot. Because by this point then, yeah. you were not only the respondent... But you were also, I was essentially in the judge's eyes the asshole parent. You'd withheld the kids and yeah. you had a recovery order against you. Yeah. So there was a little bit of backtracking and sucking up to be done, basically. Yeah, <laughs> um, essentially. Anyway, so we were just doing all that and, you know, that the, the injuries had... on the kids did not stop. In fact, they increased over yeah. a lot of that time. Um, there was, again, new boyfriends involved. There was... By that point, T was starting to talk. Mm. So he would tell us that, like, that particular boyfriend she had at the time, he told us a couple of times, he did that. He's always angry. Yeah. He's always yelling. Yeah. Um, and we'd seen one day some behaviour on a FaceTime call as well that just yeah. was weird. It was basically like... Like she, like she was the one being controlled by this guy. Her life is her choice. Don't really care what she does at the end of the day. Hmm. But when it affects the kids, it becomes a problem. So, again, all we could do was just report stuff. At one point, T had this really odd bruise. Um, and just the way the situation worked, a paramedic actually assessed him. And he told the paramedic that he'd been hit. Yeah. Um. And then Elle had some other bruises like two weeks later that were really weird. And so an ED doctor actually made 
A child support. A child, a child, safety, a child report. safety report. And she also saw the photos of T's ear and included that because she goes, this is not associated with an accidental pattern of bruising. Yeah. Like these locations are not where kids very, like very rarely do they get accidental bruises in these spots. Yeah. So we were always on edge mm. of like, is child safety going to get involved? Which they never did. To this day, they still haven't. Yeah. Because... Because Doesn't again, the, the threshold. threshold. The threshold is that there would need to be a video of a person breaking their bones before they would go, oh yeah, there's, they're being yeah. harmed, you know? Yeah. Um, and we later found out through subpoenaed information that the daycare director had told child safety that you were insane. Yeah. And so then that was the thing. Every time you would speak to child safety, there's this big glaring file from a daycare director going, he's insane. Yeah, he's the problem. Um. And like they said in that, they're like, the kids have never had a bruise on them. And we were like, that's just false. That's a straight up false. lie. Like, it's a straight up literal... lie. Literal. Anyway. Anyway. So frustrating. So this is what we were dealing with of like the frustration of the daycare is well and truly in her court on her side. And, you know, child safety is not getting involved. Um, and we've got doctors that believe us like that, that, that are, you know, teaching us these are the warning signs and these are the things to look out for. And we're seeing all these warning signs and there's nothing we can do about them. And then it was like becoming more and more apparent. So you had your family report done about three weeks after C was born. Even the process of getting the report done was really difficult because we was supposed to be done six months after the hearing or something like that. And it was getting close to that mark and we hadn't heard anything from right. anyone about getting a report done. That's right. We the, had to request the hearing was, for some information about it. The hearing was set for October and it was like end of August and we'd heard nothing. And it didn't get done until it was September. Because like I said, C was like three weeks old and he was born 19th of August. Yeah. So early September, we finally get this report date. Yeah. And the report writer only wanted to speak to you and her. Yeah, and our lawyers no, were like... Because we were, we were walking into this because your mum had been involved in a, in a family report years and years and years ago. And they spoke to everyone. And they, yeah, they spoke to everyone. They had lots and lots of interviews. They did some... They did house visits to house, houses. Yeah, all of this sort of stuff. And then you and get then, this email. Your lawyers had prepared both of us for the report, because they were, like, under the impression that they'd speak to me, at least. Because you and I were married by this point. Like, yeah. we had a kid together. Yeah. And so then the report writer goes, no, I just want to interview you two. And and after I interview you, I'll, I'll, I'll watch you with the kids for half an hour. Your lawyers, like, jumped up and down, waving their arms, like, no, no. So they, I think, I can't remember if they emailed the report writer or they wrote it for you, but you did it, requesting that. I be interviewed and her partner because her and this guy had been living together for months. Yeah. And so they're like, you know, relevant parties to this matter and to the kids. And the report writer refused. Yeah. She was like, no, just this is what I'm doing. So, you know, three hours in an office, anyone can put on their best foot forward for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I came with you because that was what the lawyers said. They said, look, at the very least, Rebecca... Go so that she actually Go meets you. Go with him so she can meet you and see you with the kids too. So I did. And that kind of worked because then <clears throat> your ex arrived a little bit too early with the kids. 
and you were still being interviewed. So yeah. I just played with the kids while you finished your interview. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but but that report. So, I mean, obviously... So, this report... You can't really share a lot of detail about the report. I obviously haven't read it because that's one of the big rules. Right. That was one of the things the lawyer said was, like, she should not read this. This is privileged court document information. Well, by this point, I actually wasn't allowed to be involved in any more conversations because they're like, if this goes to a trial, I... I would have been like a witness because I'd written an affidavit. Right, right. And so, and so you would have privileged was, information. Yeah. So they were, at this point were like, I I wasn't allowed to be involved in any meetings. I wasn't allowed to read. I mean, technically though, even aside from that, you're not allowed to show the family report too. No, it's not supposed anyone. to be seen by anyone except so legal were, representatives yeah. and the parties. Involved. So you were obviously able to like verbally go. Oh, this and this and this, as in like, you know, these are the rough recommendations, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you obviously, there was so many things written in that report from what you've told me. That yeah, just there was bullshit. Like statements made without the knowledge to support them. Well, and there the was... report writer commented on me and yes. my views and my opinions and my mum. From reading affidavits. Yeah. Basically, she'd read Even our affidavits and formed these views that were like, how can you write this about me when you didn't speak to me? And she put in there that my mother is a foster carer, which is inaccurate. Yeah. Like, she'd read something in my mum's report that, um, my mum's affidavit that obviously made her think that. So, right, oh, well, you know, something like, you know, her being a foster carer has led to like these these views, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, that's not even accurate information. Yeah, it's not what was in the affidavit. It's not anything that had been said to her. But that was the other thing. They commented on our home. Yeah, they, she, they made comparisons. She likened our home to a foster home, which, I mean, it still upsets Blows my me. mind. Like, you never saw our home. Yeah. You didn't even speak to me. Yeah. Like, how can you... It was just so wildly inaccurate. It was not funny. And our lawyers did say, they said, if this goes to trial, this report will be ripped apart because it is inaccurate. There was a lot of yeah. inaccurate information. There was a lot of stuff that was just... And the recommendations at the end of it didn't really fit. Well, they also weren't what. very forward planned. They weren't. They were, like, very not forward thinking for the future and didn't fit what had been raised and not raised in this report. And Mm. the report writer appears to have asked you guys different questions, which is a big no, no. Mm. It should very much be same or similar questions. Yeah. Like there was a whole thing in there where I think the report writer had asked your ex-wife about, you know, what your marriage was like and when it ended and why it ended and all that stuff. She didn't speak to you about any of that. And it's like, well, how can you... The good news about that report, though, was that she said there's no domestic violence Yeah. in this relationship. Yeah, that was one of the things that was in there that was... Which was good and Helpful bad. in its way, in, its, but, in some ways. anyway, all this to say, so the, the court 
hearing got delayed. Yeah, it got delayed because of the report. Wasn't done. And probably what three weeks after that report came out, you got served a domestic violence protection order application, which didn't go anywhere. No, there'd been a hearing before you'd been served, so it didn't get granted because there wasn't enough grounds for a temporary order. And you hadn't been served yet. Yeah. And I became aware that even the application for a DV order against me by her was against the legal advice that she'd been given. Yeah. Her lawyers had didn't know about it and it was a big it was a big fuck up basically. But in the end, I think this is one of the things if we could go back we'd do it differently. But again, we acted on the situation at the time. Yeah. You offered to sign an undertaking. Which was essentially just a promise to her and to the court that you're not going to do what you're already not doing. Yeah. Like, that was, you weren't doing yeah. any of the things anyway in the nicest way it shut her up mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter now. Like, it's not something that worries us that exists because, again, you don't do those things anyway. And it's not actually enforceable. Like it's it's an undertaking. Yeah. It's not it's not an order. All it means is if I were to do any of those things, all it means then is she that could she could then you. apply for another yeah. order. Yeah, but she can't do that <coughs> unless that happens. Now I later found out, and this is what I think annoyed me. I later had legal advice about my own DV situation with her, but they looked at her application and they went, "She was never going to get an order against him." Which was a far cry from what you'd been told on yeah, the day. Yeah, so I'd had a duty lawyer on the day and she was like so worried about it and oh, uh, yeah, it was, I didn't, it was she wasn't stupid. good. She yeah. wasn't good for me. But you're a guy, this is the thing. The system is so fucked up that maybe you would have had an order against you even though there was literally no evidence. There was nothing there. You're a male and she's a female crying DV. Yeah. Ta-da. Like, we, even just you apply, were told If I were to day, apply, yeah. even with everything that had happened, they're like, look, yes, this looks like a DV situation to me, but if you were to take it into a court, the threshold for you to prove it mm-hmm. is too high yeah. for what you've got. So they you wouldn't get an order. They told you that day that you being 10 minutes late to a changeover could be seen as domestic violence. Mm. But her withholding your kids unless you paid her money? Nah, that doesn't meet the threshold. It's insane. It's um, absolutely insane. So that was all tangled up, though. And and your lawyers at the time were, like, quite confident she was only doing it, to, again, to, to try, try and get a foothold like, in family Yeah, course. it was basically like she's just trying to get ahead. But realistically... They said even if she got a DVO, it wouldn't really impact family Yeah, because, fa- because the federal circuit orders supersede they trump it. Yeah. any state And orders. that's the thing. All the conditions that are in this undertaking you signed are literally vetoed by the federal circuit orders. Yeah. Like the, one of the conditions of the undertaking is that you won't go to the kids' daycare. And yet your federal circuit court order says you'll collect the kids from daycare. Yeah. Ta-da. Like, it, it's yeah. so... It, it's just wild. So all of that to say, it was a lot of fucking stress and a lot of money. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of emotions. And like I said, we were going through all of that while having our first child. Mm-hmm. 
and living mm-hmm. in a COVID world yeah. and job changes and money changes and just living with the, like, like we're saying, the concerns we still had for the boys' safety and well-being, mm. the emotional impacts of the life they were suffering through. God, it was a nightmare. So was it like November or December? I think I said to you, you need to find a way to, to end this basically you need to figure out like it wasn't so much can you just sign whatever she wants but yeah find yeah, a way to do, finish how this. do we basically get out the, we can't keep doing this and the well, kids can't we, keep doing this i can't remember exactly when it was that i mean you had been in you'd been seeing a counselor for a while yeah but then i started seeing someone i can't remember exactly when it was though um, but yeah, so that, that was going on as well. But then towards the end of the year, the lawyer who had been rep- representing us, um, left the firm mm. that I was, I, that my file was with. So I got transferred over to a new lawyer and that wasn't, wasn't a good experience. I don't think he was very good at what he did, but also but like... But he hooked you the... up with the barrister. That was the thing, though. Yes. You had a meeting with the barrister and the lawyer, and they both told you there's not enough conflict in this situation for you to go to trial. Yes. So they were also going, you guys just need to go to mediation. Yes. Because yes. Th- there's actually, as much as you feel like this is high conflict... It's not. A judge is going to look at this and go, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Like, even... Just, like, financially-wise. Oh, yeah. Even even inside the same firm. So, like, the lawyer who I yeah. had been representing us... Yeah. ...had been really, really good to us financially and yeah. had sought to make it as cheap as possible for there was us. A lot of and then they once didn't. it switched over, that just yeah. completely just changed. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it was just more expensive. I think we Which spent... was amazing for us because we're like, this is already so expensive. Yeah. And then we spent, what, 10 grand inside three months or something. Yeah, and when nothing was happening, it was wild. Yeah, and there was no mentions, nothing yeah. like that. Yeah. But we had ended up, we got this, this new lawyer to kind of finish drafting. We would put together a set of consent orders yeah. And we got him to kind of go over it and fix any errors and... And legalise it. Legalise it and all this sort of thing. And we'd sent that to the other side November, I think it was, and got no response, no response, no response. Hey, so sorry to cut it off here, but this story took a lot longer than we thought to tell. Um, but congratulations on making it this far. Hopefully you'll look out for the next part in the next episode. Coming soon. Mm-hmm.